Man, we thank and praise God for the songs of Zion that inspire us, encourage us, uh, inform us about who we are, what God expects from us, and maybe even more importantly, who God is, right? Because it's so easy in life's journey to focus more on our problems than on our problem solver. So I want to encourage you to continue to worship the Lord. Those songs of Zion are such a powerful, powerful part of your worship experience, not just corporately, but personally as well. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God's blessings on our time. Father, we bless you today and we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. God, as your word goes forth, I pray that it will find fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people so that we would be more than just hearers of your word. Help us to be doers of your word as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I've got a confession to make to you. It's really, really hard for me to waste anything. I mean, it's hard for me to waste anything. I want to make sure I get the most out of everything I buy. Let me give you an example. Man, if it's toothpaste, uh, I'm going to squeeze it until there's no more squeezing to be done to get toothpaste out of that tube. I was so bad. I, I think this might have been a form of OCD. I was so bad that if I had deodorant, I would go as far as I could in terms of twisting that deodorant stick up and then would turn around and go in where I couldn't get it out with the dial and take it out with my fingers and rub it on me till I got every bit of deodorant out before I threw it away. Don't judge me, don't judge me. I'm just, I'm just confessing today. Uh, if it's food, man, I didn't throw anything away. I mean, it had to be rancid and rotten for me to throw it away. Leftovers, love them, because I'm not throwing away anything. Now, I know where it came from. That behavior was learned. Uh, part of it was my grandfather, who was a person who lived through the Depression, and so he was a person who, who knew how to value things and knew what it was like to live with nothing, right? Because he went through the Depression as an adult, so he knew what it was like to, to struggle and not know where your next meal was coming from. I got it in part from my mother, who got it from her father, right? So my mother, I don't care where we lived, she had to have a freezer. And that freezer had to be full of food because you don't know when you're not going to be able to get out of the house. You don't know how long you might be stuck. She did it even here in Texas. I mean, she's talking about snowstorms and stuff. I'm like, Mom, we don't get snow in Texas like that. Like, we're not going to be locked down. Now, I didn't know how bad hurricanes could be, right? But at the end of the day, I was raised with that idea, don't waste anything. And of course, I don't know about you, you can't waste food because, hey, there's hungry children in Biafra. Man, I heard that I don't know how many times. And I'm sure there was some bad food that I might have thought to myself, can I send this to the children in Biafra, right? But at the end of the day, I have just been inbred with this idea of not wasting anything. And so it's hard for me to see people throw things away. It's hard for me to see people throw food away, even at a restaurant if we're finished eating. It's just hard. It just seems wasteful to me, right? But let me tell you something that's even more tragic. When you see somebody waste their life, when you see somebody who has so many gifts, so many talents, so much ability, but they throw 
their life away because they don't focus on doing all that God has called them to do. Today, in week six of our Rooted curriculum, we're asking the question, how can I make the most of my life? And it's interesting that this is not a statement, it is a question, a question that challenges us in terms of reflecting on what the question is that's being asked, but also not only reflection, looking for instruction and direction so we can ultimately fulfill our potential in God. So today for a few moments, I wanna talk to you from the thought, how to make the most of your life. How to make the most of your life. Uh, The Luzan Covenant is a covenant that really guides us in terms of what we do as a church. And when I say what we do as a church, I'm really challenging us to think through what God has called us to do as people because remember, the people are the church. Look at what the Luzan Covenant says. God wants his whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. God wants his whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And that's what discipleship is about, right? Helping people who need Jesus come to know Jesus, helping people who know Jesus grow in Jesus so they in turn can help somebody else who needs Jesus to know Jesus. Our foundational text today is Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, how to make the most of your life. Now in Ephesians chapter two, uh, God gives us and lays out for us a foundation regarding our position in Christ. As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Ephesians, Um, The first three chapters really focus on our position. The last three chapters focus on our practices, right? The first three chapters deal more with doctrine. The last three chapters uh, deal more with duty and responsibility, right? And so when we get to chapter two, uh, the apostle Paul starts talking about the sin that has been working against you the sin that has been working against you. And let me just give this to you as a contextual backdrop uh, that our message is going to be placed against. Paul says there's a sin that's working against you. Look at verse one. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of the world. Uh, In this portion of scripture, Paul gives us in essence a full length picture of the terrible spiritual condition we were in before we came to know Jesus. Full length picture, in other words, he's like from top to bottom, from head to toe. I need you to see what kind of condition you were in. He says, first, you were dead. 
You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Secondly, you were disobedient. So you were not only dead, but that death really was the result of your disobedience. The disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden was transmuted to us in the form of a sin nature. And now we have become children of disobedience. He says, not only were you disobedient, you were depraved. You were depraved. You were focused on doing wrong, even when right was in front of you. As a matter of fact, you not only did wrong, you could not actually do right because there was nothing right in you. Even when you call yourself doing right, you would do right for the wrong reasons. He says you were depraved. And then lastly, he says you were doomed. You were doomed. You were doomed by nature because you were the children of wrath. You by deed were disobedient. You were unsaved and you were already condemned to hell. You were doomed. And so Paul now, when he gets to verse 4, begins a prescription. Uh, Verses 1 through 3, he gives us a diagnosis. Here's where you were. Now that you are in Christ, let me give you a prescription for how to walk the way God wants you to walk, how to make the most of your life. Three things I want you to see, real simple, right here in the text. Number one, you need to realize God has done a work for you. God has done a work for you. Everybody say, for me. God has done a work for you. Verse four, but God, look at that contrastive conjunction there. Verse 1 through 3 gives us a deadly diagnosis. But in the prescription, Paul says, but God. Everything else that transpired now can be corrected in your walk with Jesus Christ. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. He makes a shift in verse four, verses one through three, he's talking about our condemnation. But now when he gets to verse four, he starts talking about our salvation. And he reminds us of what God has done on our behalf. Uh, He says first, A, you are loved by God. He said, never forget that you were loved by God. And here's what he wants you to understand about his love. Uh, When we talk about the love of God, the love of God is an attribute. Uh, Intrinsically, God is love. In other words, if he does nothing else, he is love. But there's also a relative attribute of God in terms of how that love is expressed. 
He is love, but we experience his love by his grace and his mercy. Come on, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. In other words, he says the love of God in terms of who he is, it shows up in our lives based on the grace and mercy that he shows us. Grace is an expression of God's love in that God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is an expression of God's love in that God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And Paul says, recognize what God has been doing and what he has done for you. He loves you. But watch B. He wants you to know you are alive in Christ. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This means you have been made alive. He made you alive. He brought life where there was death. I'm talking about what God has done for you, the work that God has done for you. Uh, We said, A, you are loved by God. B, you are alive in Christ. C, you have been exalted by his power. You have been exalted by his power. Verse 6 says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, You are not raised from the dead and left in the graveyard. He says you have been raised from the dead and you have been exalted with him. You are sharing with him in his rule and reign in the heavenlies. While we are sojourning on earth, We have a position in glory because God has exalted us. I'm talking about the work that God is doing in you. Look at D. You have been kept by God. You have been kept by God. So that, verse 7, Ephesians 2, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. You have been kept by God. My brothers and sisters, you do not keep yourself. Matter of fact, if you think you keep yourself, then you're failing to give God the credit for the danger seen and unseen that he has brought you through. You're failing to acknowledge and accept the fact that where sin, selfishness, and your own stupidity or satanic devices moved you into dangerous places, that it was God that kept you when you didn't have sense enough to keep yourself. He says, you have been kept by God. God has been doing a work in you. And it's important for you when you talk about how to make the most out of your life to recognize that God didn't leave you just when you got saved. He is still doing a work in you. Everybody say, in me. Yeah, God is doing a work in you right now. Here's number two. You need to let God work in you. You need to let God work in you. Not not only acknowledge that God is doing something to you, but you've got to let God work in you. 
Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That word for workmanship is an interesting word. It's a word that means to be made, uh, to be created, to be manufactured. Uh, what's interesting is it's, it's where we get the word poem from, right? Uh, you take ordinary words, but when you put those words together in a specific form, uh, they create something meaningful and something beautiful. He says, you are the workmanship of God, that God has taken you and is molding you and shaping you, and he wants to make something creative and beautiful out of you. And he does this work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's equipping you for both your walk and your work, your witness and your worship. God is creating you for your walk and your work, for your worship and your witness. That's what God wants from you, and that's what God has created you to do. And he does it by using three things in our lives. Now, the first two, you may say, I get that. You might question the last one. Um, he uses the word of God. He uses the word of God to mold you to do something in you. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. Verse 13 says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Can I tell you something? This is not the first generation who has questioned the validity or the sanctity of the word of God. It has been questioned down through the ages. And people who prefer darkness rather than light would love to simply do away with the Bible. But I believe in the inerrancy of the word of God. I believe that the word of God is God breathed. I believe that God speaks to us through his word. And God uses that word to help mold us and shape us so that out of us he can get us to walk the way we should walk, work the way we should work, worship the way we should worship and witness the way he has commanded us to witness. He not only uses the word of God, but he uses prayer. He uses prayer as a tool to work in us. Look at Ephesians chapter three, beginning at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the proud power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in 
Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can I tell you one of the problems we have, and, and it's a basic hermeneutical oversight that we make. We, we not only quote scriptures out of context, but we quote scriptures incompletely. So we love to quote verse 20 of Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, more than you can ask or think. And we stop there. The verse says, according to the power at work within us. The power that's at work within us is the Holy Ghost. That God is working inside of us. God is working on us to help us become. So that even affects all that we ask or think. Because if we are being worked on by the Holy Ghost on the inside, then he's also affecting what we ask and think for so that we are asking in accordance with God's will, so that we are thinking in accordance with God, God's will because the Spirit of God is not going to lead you to ask or think about anything that is outside of God's will for your life. There's going to be vertical spiritual alignment. What's going on inside of you and what God is prepared to do in glory. Prayer is a way that God works in you. Here's the last one. This one you may not agree with. Suffering. Suffering is a way that God works inside of you. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised. Here it is. At the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, as we suffer, the spirit of God ministers to us and longs for us to express our dependence upon him. And here's what suffering will do. Suffering will drive you back to the word and drive you back to pray. If it doesn't drive you back to the word and drive you back to prayer, then you are going someplace you don't need to be going. The Bible says that we have a challenge to let God work in us. Um, I love Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old, be renewed in your mind, put on the new. You cannot put on the new until you have taken off the old, and you really can't take off the old sufficiently until you have been renewed in your mind, and you certainly don't want to put on the new until you have been renewed. Here's the third and final thing. Number three, you need to let God work through you. You not only need to let God work in you, but the text says we've got to learn how to let God work through us. We're talking about how to make the most of your life. And you make the most of your life when you get to the place when you're letting God work through you. Look at Ephesians chapter 10, the B part of that verse He said, we are his his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, here it is, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word walk is an interesting word in the original language because it's not just talking about taking a stroll. Uh, It's literally referring to a state of living or a state of being how we function. He says, uh, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that you should be living these good works. You should be living out God's plan for your life. And let me say to somebody who may be listening right now, it's hard to find God's plan for your life and you haven't found God as your Savior. That's why it's so important to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, because once you accept Christ as your Savior, now God has dealt with the deadly diagnosis that you received, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and now he can use you in a way that you can walk in the path that God has set for your life. He says, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen carefully. You have not been created in Christ Jesus by good works. You are created for good works. Your good works are a result of what God has done in you. Good works don't save you. You are not saved by your good works. Your good works are evidence that you are saved. They are the evidence that God has done a great work in you. That's what James says in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, 
that faith apart from works is useless? See, in the body of Christ, I believe we are falling far short of what God has called us to be. Not for a lack of knowledge, but for a lack of activity. And not activity inside the four walls, being salt and light in the world in which we live. This world is not our home. Scripture is clear about that. It will never be our home. But the question is, how can God use us to help establish the kingdom of God in as many lives as possible? And I believe God wants to use us when we recognize that we have been created for good works. That's what we were created to do. To walk in them. To walk in God's plan for our lives that was laid out before the foundation of the world. See, my brothers and sisters, those good works are in contrast to the works of darkness. God says, I've created you. I've made you. You are my workmanship. You are my masterpiece. And I've created you to do good works. You're going to make the most of your life when you walk in what your creator has made you to do. Walk in those good works. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are, here it is, zealous for good works that we should be zealous for good works. We should be passionate about doing good works. Not jealous of somebody else's good works, but zealous of the good works that God is giving us an opportunity to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, we are to let our light shine. And when we let our light shine, we let it shine by people seeing our good works and giving glory to God our Father, not us, Glory to God because of the good works that we do. And we do it out of what God has done in our lives, what he has prepared for us to do. See, as a believer, you and I are to walk in the good works God has prepared for us. And this is an amazing statement because basically what it says is that God has a plan for your life and that you and I will be our best when we fulfill the purpose that God has for our life. I want to encourage you today to recognize that when you talk about making the most of your life, you will only make the most of your life when you walk in the plan that God has created for your life. See, you have been created by him. Now God says, will you walk in that plan that I have for your life? Not grabbing, not having, not storing, but walk in the path that I have prepared for you to give, to share, 
to share out of your goods, to share out of your resources, to give God's love, the love that you have received to others, to help be the embodiment of God's grace and mercy as we serve others. Over these next two weeks, you're challenged to serve. You're challenged to serve as a group. You're challenged to serve if you don't have a small group. You're challenged to serve as an individual. Find some place where you can volunteer. If you're in the Houston metropolitan area, call the church and we'll connect you. Uh, we'll point you in the right direction. Um, if you're not in the Houston area, call us and we'll give you some ideas of places that you can serve. And I promise you, God's word is true. It is more blessed to give and to, than to receive. And when you go to serve, when you go to touch people who need to be touched, who need God's touch, you'll be surprised that you will not only help them, but it will challenge you and help you to be all that God created you to be. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for today. I pray now for somebody under the sound of my voice that they would walk in your light and that they would let that light shine through them and all around them because you are the light of the world. We ask you to have your way now. Use us, God, and help us to find the ultimate fulfillment and purpose for our life and our living. And help us to know that we can only make the most of our lives when our lives are rooted and anchored in you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.